0: Welcome to the Unite Church podcast. For more information about Unite Church, visit unitechurchak.org. Now, enjoy this message from Josh Tanner. Sermon begin. Are we ready? <clears throat> so, uh, Pastor Zach did a great job on 1 Thessalonians 2, starting in chapter 2. And we're talking about the, the persecution, right? That's coming, that is a part of our world and life. And this attack, and this is real. And um, if you missed the last couple chapters, um, why don't you jump back online and you can uh, do that. But we're going to press on. We're going to talk about uh, the church as a family of God and how we're designed really to be a family. And the way we interact with one another is as a family. And we actually take on kind of all three identities as children, mothers, and fathers, okay? As that there's times when we sort of grab and we need to be like these three things to one another. At the same time, there are specific roles that God has called us into as men and women or responsibilities. Roles can be a tricky word. How about responsibilities that God has given us? And when he gives us a responsibility, he gives us the authority to do a thing and then we're accountable to that thing. Wow. So if I have a responsibility, Lord, oh, I have this responsibility to be a father to my children, then I have been given the authority to do that thing, the power in which to carry it out. And then when I stand before God, guess what? You do not stand before God for how I pastored or shepherded my family, my own personal children. I'm going to stand before God for how I cared for them Jesus is going to ask me, Josh Tanner, he's going to say, Josh, how did you take care of my kids that I gave to you as their earthly temporary father? And then I'm going to have to answer. You're going to have to answer. My wife, she is the mother of my children, all six of my babies. Thank you very much. You did very good, babe. Appreciate that sacrifice. I see that hand. It's not fair what women have to do. I know it. But I, in every aspect, I, I just think it's just not fair. But I do believe at the moment when women stand before God, mothers stand before God, and they give an account, there's going to be a special blessing for those who are faithful. And there is no reward, like God says, that no reward is un. Uh, Nor, no offering is unrewarded or no, no sacrifice you make for the Lord is unrewarded. And I think ladies, there's a special reward for you in heaven. I think it's going to be good. You make it through your teenage years with your daughters. Hello, (laughs) special reward. (laughs) So good. All right. And there's also a reward for us as we approach him as children Because do you know every single one of us is a child still? Because y'all had moms and dads. You're like, no, I didn't. Yes, you did. I don't care if you knew your mom and dad or not. Doesn't matter. You have a mom and dad, and you are a child at some point. And Jesus even says that we're to approach him like a child. When we approach him like a child, all of a sudden, the kingdom of God becomes clear. It's how we're made to approach him. So let's read here in 1 Thessalonians. We have a little context <clears throat> for where I would like to go. There's a lot of directions you could go in all of this. But we're going to do 1 Thess- Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 7. As apostles of Christ, we certainly had a right to make some demands on you, but instead we were like children among you. See that? Or we were like a mother feeding and caring for her own children. You know these are dudes, right? They didn't, not to be confused with our current culture, these dudes did not dress up like ladies and pretend they were women to care for people. No, they nurtured as the responsibility that a woman has. They nurtured them. A thing that a woman is naturally good at is nurturing, okay? And I know there's huge variations. I'm just saying God Brought women into the world to do certain responsibilities better or than men. And here's how it looks. It's like, we loved you so much. Well, like a mother. And it says here, feeding and caring for her own children. Now, in the modern day, guys, like this was not written to a modern world where technology is so advanced that everyone can work. But we've beaten back the fall. Do you know the fall, the cursed world is beating at us and trying to overwhelm us all the time so that we cannot prosper? The world, it, when the fall happened, the world turned against the people. And the one part of the curse and the fall is that we'd work the land all the time. And what happens is, guys, when you go out in the wild, you ever watch these go out into the wild movies? It eats them. You're like, how does anybody survive that? Human beings can not hardly survive independently at all. But interdependently, we become a mega force. And now we've created crazy witchcraft kind of things like Bluetooth. <laughs> like internet. Like, you're like, that's witchcraft. I mean, if, if that showed up here and you like went, and you sent something somewhere else, everybody, goes, ooh, ooh, ooh. everybody would freak out. You're like, that's witchcraft. Like, how would that? Science is happening. I mean, my brain still can't count it on my five Nikiski fingers, right? I don't have it figured out. But what happens is, is that all of that technology and advancement causes us to think differently, to see differently. It empowers us to do all kinds of things, like not have to carry water from a water source all the way to wherever it is we're going to drink and wash our clothes, right? You know, women, this is a primary thing. They did not work hard. You know this? But they carried lots and lots of water (laughs) and raised babies. Because if they didn't carry water, raise babies, everybody dies. They didn't nurture and feed their children, they die. If men didn't go out and hunt and fight and war, these things were so much more black and white when the world was harsher. And people were not as confused of like, What's my core responsibility before God? All human beings need to be nurtured and fed. The harshest thing you can do to a human being is neglect them. Did you know that? It's part of why suicide's so rampant in Alaska and in the world is neglect. And you saw it on the Carry the Cure thing. It said neglect, especially childhood neglect. We, we abandon kids and leave them alone. It wrecks them. It's the most harmful thing we can do in a person. We think and the other things are really harmful too. They're add-ons. They're t- devastating. But we're all designed to be nurtured and fed. And this is the role or the responsibility, the thing that God made women or mothers to do naturally, even in the concept of like, right when a baby's born, when we didn't have formula, guess what babies ate? They breastfed. Did you know that? This is, I know, some of you are like, what? Nobody does that anymore. Hasn't technology, like, advanced beyond? No, actually. Amazingly, this is the healthiest thing for a child's first beginning. Because they're being nurtured and fed. Okay. The church needs to be nurtured and fed. The Apostle Paul and his disciples are all out here and they're like, we came to you as children, innocent we came pure-hearted. We had no motive but just to serve like a child goes and just wants to please their dad or wants to please their mom. And just as an innocent child, we just came innocently with no pre-agenda but just to be with you because we love you. And then we came to you as even a mother here to feed and care for you and just help and nurture you. And in verse 8, it says this, we love you so much that we share with you not only the good news, but our own lives too. Wow. Do, do you know, you know what, this, what this says right here? Is when we're willing to share the good news, we're willing to give up our life. Now, in, in America, we're a little broken again. Because we're in a post-Christian America. And so, uh, and, and you really need to know that. Because in a non-Christian World, do you know what they do to Christians all around the world? They kill them. No, that's not good. You're right. They murder Christians all around the world, guys. There are more Christians giving their life for Jesus today than in all world history. Iran, fastest growing church in the world. Do you know what happens when the government finds a Christian in Iran? Iran. Oh, that's okay. You have freedom of speech. Say whatever you want. That is not what happens to Christians in Iran. You know what happens to Christians in China when they find them? Not good things, guys. They disappear. You can't have open worship there. We are living in a post-Christian America. Now, it can become a Christian America again. There's a lot of work to do. There's a lot of souls that need to get saved. There's a lot of disciple-making that needs to happen. Oh, we're not going to get there. There's a lot of nurturing and feeding, and there's a lot of work from Christians, believers, loving people and coming to them with no agenda like a child and being willing to give up our life even if it costs us our life. Paul and, and, and Timothy and uh, uh, his disciples were traveling around. And before they got here, they were getting all thrashed and beat up at Philippi. And then they come here and guess what? They get all thrashed and beat up here. And they had to leave there and they went to Berea and they had a little bit easier time there. But like everywhere these guys went, they were getting imprisoned. They were being thrown into prison, beaten, flogged, running for their life. Like when he decided to give up his life to share the good news to them, it wasn't just like the way we do it today. But I'm telling you, if we're not willing to share the good news right now, like Bill was saying, you can't share the good news and people not get saved. It's happening everywhere. People are getting saved like crazy. Let's share the good news because guess what? There will come a point where the enemy will turn our post-Christian world into an anti-Christian world because that's the way it goes. Anti-Christian world where we are now the enemy of the state. In China, it is surveillance state. They use artificial intelligence to search for Christians and people that are against the Chinese government to find them, hunt them, and make them disappear. This is not fiction. This isn't conspiracy theory. This is fact. The underground church is exploding. They can't stop it. China is going to topple because of the Christians that are emerging They can't stop it. Iran is going to topple because Jesus topples every government. It's going to happen. You can't stop that. But listen, America needs to topple. And what's funny is we'll fall back into our roots. And we're already structured like awesome To handle a Christian society. In fact, our structure isn't perfect, but it handles a Christian society way better than a non-Christian society. Right now, you see everyone acting like uh, not smart people. Hard filter. Because we've lost our moral compass, which comes from knowing Jesus And not just knowing about him, but intimately knowing who he is. That when we know him, and when we nurture people with God's love, it doesn't look the same as when we just nurture them with the world's love. When I nurture my children, and sometimes I learn from my wife. Like, I actually learn to nurture my kids from watching my wife nurture them. Because I'm like, chop some more wood, you know. (laughs) That's kind of how I nurture my kids, you know. I've learned to be more affectionate, what they need. And they they need that care, that blending from both of us and learning from each other, not just, that's your responsibility, woman. No, my responsibility as a leader in the body of Christ is to approach God and disciples as a child and as a mother and as a father. And you'll see it in here. My primary role is as a father because I'm a dude and I have children. You can be a dude in the kingdom not have children, and still be a spiritual father. You can be a woman in the kingdom, not have children, and still be a spiritual mother. And that role is of epic need. Because it takes, when we say a village, it takes a church to raise kids. One of my kids was telling me, I, I sent my kids all off to public school. It was awesome. We've done public school before and uh, then, then COVID happens, and so we send them all to private school, and it was great. and It was a good season, and then we're like, okay, back out into the lion's den. Let's go, you know. I like that. I like my kids out there because then it makes them need me, you know, and um, <laughs> one of my kids was saying like, whoa, man, I am really looking forward to church on Thursday night in our youth ministry because that's where my people are. That's like the people that I, because out there, it's like, Hard. People are hard, man. Well, school kids are like, their vocabulary is like really small. They just cuss like, all that they like fill in the blank. Like it's really hard. Like my kids are all talking about how hard it is there, and I'm like, then all of a sudden the church becomes this life, this place, this oasis of life. We're like, oh, I get fed, I get, I'm safe here, and I have my people, and I'm gonna go back out in the world. Like, and I'm not telling you all you need to send your kids to public school, but if we don't, if we don't it will be lost. Because I think Zach said, like, the public school is the devil's youth group. That's no joke, dude. The world's the devil's youth group, right? So that's our mission field, not our place of acceptance. So when our church kids go in there, it's like, this is like going into this new town that they were going in. My job is to become like a child. I'm here innocent, but I'm going to serve like a mother and lead like a father, right? All these things are important for us to see. But this sacrifice Is we loved you so much with such great affection that we shared with you not only the good news, which is I'm going to risk my life, but our own lives as well. Which means I'm going to lay my own personal life down, not what I want, but what God wants for you and what's in your best interest. So like both of these are an offering or a laying down of our life that God has called the church to do to make disciples, to love people, to honor them and to respect them for the way they were designed before God and their unique destiny that he has placed inside of them as Ephesians 2 says is a masterpiece created in Christ Jesus to do the good works that he prepared in advance for them to do. We get to be a part of that journey by sharing with them What God's done in us and his love with them. But guys, your love's got to be turned on. Our love to nurture and feed and lead and love has to be turned on all the time. We can't become grumpy Christians. Y'all, if we get bitter and we get harsh, it's all going to shut off. People are going to be so confused because guess what? They already have all that in the world. They don't need more rules They don't need more. You ought to behave this way. You ought to do this. You ought to do that. They don't need any of that stuff. They need to just be loved right exactly where they're at in the midst of their struggle, where no one, they feel like no one sees them. They don't matter to anybody. They're an outcast. You know, most people feel like an outcast and isolated, but we're all designed to be nurtured and fed and belong. That's one of our number one responsibilities. So verse nine, don't, You remember, dear brothers and sisters, how hard we worked among you day and night. We toiled to earn a living so that we would not be a burden to any of you as we preach God's good news. You yourselves are our witnesses, and so is God, that we were devout and honest and faithful toward All of you believers, and you know that we treated each of you as a father treats his own children. We pleaded with you, encouraged you, and urged you to live lives in a way that God would consider worthy. For he called you to share in his kingdom and glory. Isn't that awesome? Look at this every day, as a Christian worker, as a leader. As a discipler, every person that raised their hand today, you got saved in the last year, you've been saved more than a year, right? This is a call to all of us. Toil, work hard, so you're not a burden to the people around you. Romans says, never be lazy. Y'all don't be jokers, smokers, or midnight tokers, right? You were thinking it, I said it, Okay. Well, if you're over 60, actually, nowadays, everybody thinks it. All, the young, all these young kids, you guys know all the songs, all the good ones anyway. Okay. Not that that's a good song. <laughs> <laughs> Don't send me a letter. Okay. But Pastor Dick Benjamin, who was the founder of this church, um, he used to say this all the time, and I loved it. He goes, you know what ministry is spelled? You know what Christian ministry, pastoral ministry, now you spell it? W O. R.K. You want to be you want to be discipler. You want to make an impact. Listen, if you want to make an impact, your legacy is found. Your legacy, eternal legacy. You want to leave something that lasts beyond you. You will never do that if you don't do it in the church. You can think on that. I want that to be disruptive. I said it that way on purpose. We're like, oh no, I'll leave a legacy. Steve Jobs did not leave a legacy. He's the guy that created the iPhone, (laughs) Apple, all right, Microsoft, Bill Gates, he's, unless he gets saved and starts building the church, zero legacy. I don't care. You change the world. You got an iPhone. Oh, great. Awesome. The guy that invented the elevator, the, the, the the automobile doesn't matter. All that stuff burns. We don't need it in heaven. The only thing that gets left that on this earth that leaves a legacy is that which touches and impacts people for their kingdom good and their kingdom life. And God designed that in the church. So when we, when we decide we're going to separate ourselves from the church and not be a part of his family as children, fathers, and mothers, then we are going to separate ourselves from our legacy. And guess what? Each one of us in responsibility for our legacy, we leave, we stand before Jesus, no one else around y'all. For your responsibility in the church to do your part, to be your part of the body of Christ. To serve and to love and to lead yourself and others to a lasting relationship with Jesus. And it can be a small amount, but whatever part you want to be a legacy has to be built in the structure God ordained. And he didn't structure us to be independent. And he didn't structure us to be all by ourselves. And to do our own new thing, like I'm building a new thing, we're not going to call it the church. We're going to call it the whatever. (laughs) People come up with the craziest names. Y'all, it's a church. If Christians are there worshiping and serving and loving other people, God called that the church. And he said, on this rock, the church, I'm going to build my house. And the gates of Hades won't excel or have advantage over, or be able to take advantage of, or advance against, the church. Hello? The only thing truly advancing on earth in the kingdom is the church. Uh, A friend of ours, his name is uh, uh, Baron Gilfling, and he started a whole ministry called ISOM Ministry, an international school of ministries, and they've took a Bible school, uh, and, and they turned it into a whole bunch of different languages, and now it's in like, I think, over 70, 80 languages, and they thousands of thousands. The last time I heard, there's over 300,000 graduates from his Bible school all over the world. It's way more than that now. I, I don't even know what the new number is. That was like five or ten years ago that I heard that number. So it could be over half a million people. China exploding with Bible school training and all that teaching people how to lead and how to love and all of that. That legacy, guys, that kind of legacy, that kind of imprint lasts forever. And that's the kind of imprint and the kind of legacy that God is calling our church to leave, you and I to leave, is something that is so multiplicational, so transformative, that no one can stop it and advance against it. But that takes a lot of W-O-R-K. Don't think about church like going to Fred Meyer. Don't think about church like watching some Marvel movies. Don't think about church like, oh, I get my own flavor and I like this and don't like that. You're a Marine who learns how to be like a child, not act like a Marine, okay? But you're hardened to the purpose of giving up your life. A Marine is willing to kick in a door and be the front Person on the lines that give up their life for the cause. In that way, we're like Marines. We're an army of God, willing to give it all up and work hard to sacrifice so we're never a burden to anyone and we advance the kingdom through love. But here's some things that stood out to me is that the way they behaved was devout, honest, faultless towards other believers. That's in verse 10. And in verse 11, it says that they. Treated each of you as a father treats his own children. Wow, how does a father treat his own children? We have a little clue right here in verse 12. It says, we pleaded with you. We didn't yell and scream at you and tell you how bad you were. You know that dads, we probably struggle the most with when our kids misbehave. It, we see a reflection on our own leadership. And so we come down really hard and we lead with shame, shaming, instead of a response of encouragement. Yeah, should we plead? Should we encourage? Absolutely. Uh, Urge, they urged them to live in a way that God would consider worthy, for he called you to share in his kingdom and glory. Because the ultimate goal of sharing in his kingdom and glory is so epic and so important, that as fathers, we should be pleading with our children urging our kids, encouraging our kids, and building them up to love him, to live in a way, to correct. That is correction. Did you know that? When we correct, we course correct a direction. It's a gentle instruction, a gentle nudge. And then when we, the best way that we correct and instruct is through investment and encouraging them. You get thousands of opportunities to encourage your kids. You get thousands of opportunities in the church to encourage people. God wants us to be absolutely devoted and devout believers, faithful, honest. Come on, that sounds like a good Christian to me. How about a church that works hard in every way, that gives big in every way, that needs, that feeds and nurtures and comes innocently before the Lord and others to serve them? That's a pretty good church. Romans 12, 9 says this. We don't have the scripture. It's okay. Don't panic. Don't just pretend to love others. I love this. This is the New Living Translation, by the way. Don't just pretend to love others. Really love them. There's nothing more annoying and confusing than a fake Christian. One that isn't devout, that doesn't work hard, that is a liar, that has all these faults and doesn't encourage people, rebukes them all the time, judges them because they don't live up to the right standard of what Jesus is, tells them you can't come in here because you're not dressed cool enough. are like, y'all, you ain't dressed cool enough. For me, peace. <laughs> Take your tie somewhere else, right? I don't care. You can wear a tie here. Wear whatever you, wear clothes, but wear whatever you want. <laughs> don't pretend. Listen, if you stink as a Christian, just stink as a Christian, don't pretend. Get better. Yeah. Get your life on track, but don't pretend like you're something you're not. Okay, man, I'm a mess. I'm struggling. I know Jesus is Lord, but I'm a disaster. I am in no position to tell you how to live for God, but I'm telling you I'm hanging on with my fingernails because I know he's right. Tell him that. That's at least honest really love them. Church, you're doing a great job. This is such a great church. The thing I hear over and over is that, man, this church is learning how to really love people. And holy smokes, what better thing could we ever have as a badge of honor as a church that, man, we, we didn't know very much else. We couldn't do Nikiski math past our left hand, but it's dadgummit, we could love people. Most people in the by the way, learn math. That's just really my thing, not Nikiski the thing. Okay. <laughs> I want dog doggone my homies. I come from a very good place. I learned so much of this, how to work hard, be an honest person, how to be, not from the church. I learned it from my family and from my culture of the people I grew up in. Cause out there, I tell you what, there's a lot of hard workers, a lot of honest people. It's a good place to come from. Verse 10, love each other with genuine affection and take delight in honoring each other. Never be lazy, but work hard and s- serve with the Lord with enthusiasm or enthusiastically. Rejoice in our confident home. Be patient in trouble. Keep on praying, and when God's people are in need, be ready to help them. This is what a good church looks like. Always be eager to practice hospitality. All right, I'm gonna read the last couple verses here. Therefore, we never stop thanking, verse 13. We never stop thanking God, that when you received his message from us, you didn't think of our words as mere human ideas. You accepted what we said as the very word of God, which of course it is. And his word, this word continues to work in all who believe. Word of God. It's his word. It's a different church that receives the word as God's word or as just some good ideas. It's not transformative when you don't believe it's actually God's Word. But a church that's hungry for the Word of God becomes transformed in His presence. Verse 14, And then, dear brothers and sisters, you suffered persecution from your own countrymen. In this way you imitated the believers of God in the church of Judea, who because of their belief in Jesus Christ suffered from their own people, the Jews. For some of the Jews were killed the prophets, and some... Even killed the Lord Jesus. Now they have persecuted us too. They failed to please God and work against all humanity. Look at this. There's some forces against all humanity. A lot of decisions being made out there that you're like, why would we decide to mutilate, decide to mutilate our children? Why would we decide to kill all our babies? Uh, why would we decide to get rid of all of our oil and gas? so we can easily be taken over or more easily because y'all we still got guns right you're like this doesn't make any sense guess what it makes sense to the devil and his plan because he loves to do things and make policies and lead all of us into a place that's against all of humanity his will is to steal kill and destroy and anybody on that plan when you plug in those motives you go oh now that makes sense Let's let prisoners and murderers go free and kill babies. Let's let anybody and everybody come all into our country and do whatever they want. I'm not just doing politics stuff now. I'm just saying that's dangerous. Let's let them steal all our women and children and put them in slavery to sex trafficking. These are decisions that are against humanity, guys. They're not hard to figure out. We can have all kinds of policy discussions about other stuff. But like killing babies, y'all not good. That's a decision to steal, kill, and destroy. And it's why, as believers, we're against these things, but the reality is, is the enemy is trying to force these humanistic ideas down the throat of all of us. And we as a church have to understand who we are and know that there's a real enemy pushing against the love and the love movement of the church and the, 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 the design that God has for each one of us. In, this, in the place we live, to be affecting the place around us with his presence and with his power and with his, with, with his designed way of living that brings peace and love and happiness to people around us. Okay. Verse 16. As they try to keep us from preaching the good news of salvation to the Gentiles, and I love this because uh, when we're writing this message, I didn't know Bill was going to be here with this carry the cure thing. Jesus, the good news, the gospel's the cure, folks. All these humanistic ideas are going to be pushing against us all the time. But the gospel, the good news about Jesus, who lives, loves, and saves, is absolutely the one thing that will transform all of it. The the, enemy's going to always try to keep you from preaching the good news. By doing this, they continue to pile up their sins against them. But the anger of God has caught up with them at last. And we're going to close here right at this last passage. Dear brothers and sisters, after we are separated from you for a little while, though our hearts never left you, we tried very hard to come back because of our intense longing to see you again. We wanted very much to come to you, and I, Paul, tried again and again, but Satan prevented us. Whoa. You, know, and you can be stupid and not do the will of God. You can be foolish and not do the will of God. You can... Think you know the will of God but get it wrong and you're just off track, and so God resists you and He like redirects you. And then there's a real enemy that can actually be an adversary against you and stop, like thwart and redirect, but he doesn't give up. Paul's like, I couldn't get there. So he wrote a letter. Boom. There's workarounds when you feel resistance from the enemy, but we have to we have to understand and not not assume we always know which one is happening in our life and what one we're finding resistance. It's not always the devil, it's not always God, and it's not always you being dumb. Amen? Quick little sermon on Satan. Satan. Here we go. This is where I really want to land the whole bird here is after all, what gives us hope and joy? What will be our proud reward? and crown as we stand before our Lord Jesus when he returns. Just think about that. What is going to be the greatest reward you're ever going to get? It's you. The greatest reward. Paul is saying to the church of Thessalonians, the Thessalonian church, you will be our greatest reward. When we stand before God, every little thing, the way we were like a child to you, the way that we nurtured you like a mother, we fed and and, and we cared for you, the way that we led you and encouraged you and, and built you up and challenged you like a father, that, that investment, that's our eternal reward. That's the real eternal reward we're all living for. It's not if people put our name on a plaque on something or they name us after a bill, a building after us, like none of that. It's the people. Yes. Verse 20, you are our pride and joy. And I want you to think about this. All the young young believers that are in the house today, not just young in age, but you got saved. If you impart to them, this is your crown. They become your crown. That impartation with them, that discipling, becomes your crown. Your children, they become your crown. You invest in them. You sacrifice to even make them. Holy smokes, ladies, right? Hard job. Worth it. The investment, worth it. And all of you who just got saved and you gave your life to the Lord, you're like, hey, there's a lot of people gonna get saved here pretty soon. It's time to learn about who God is and how to do it because your crown is coming from other people that you invest in and you disciple. That's your crown. Come on, the crown and jewels, the reward in heaven is people, guys. It's people, it's not a big church. It's individuals, it's individual people that we affect and that we love and that we encourage and that we... Sacrifice and work hard and give up our life for them to have life. 1 John 5, 4. I don't have this one up there either. It's okay. For every child of God defeats the evil world or defeats this evil world. And we achieve this victory through our faith. And who can win this battle against the world? Only those who believe that Jesus is the son of God. The way we fight is by sharing the good news, spreading the good news. Not the good news that Jesus judges, right? That he saves, that he loves and accepts. So listen, just in a second, I want to encourage you. A bunch of people have given their life to the Lord over the last year. Maybe even sitting around. I've had people in the church before. It's like, man, I sat in your church for seven years and then I finally gave my life to Jesus. I'm like, seven years? I give an altar call every single day service. I'm like, you really, that's hard work. That's hard work to, 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 to not like turn your heart over for seven years. You're like, yeah, the Lord just finally, he got me. It just made sense. It just clicked. Sometimes it just clicks, right? And you're like, oh, and the Lord just He just comes in and it just clicks. So I'm just encouraging you all over the house today, whoever you are, wherever you're at, wherever you've been at in your journey, that today is a really good day to let it click, to just turn your heart over. Don't make it be seven years, y'all. Or if it is seven years, don't make it seven years in one week, okay? Let's just do it today where we surrender our life to Jesus, that everybody in this place would surrender their life to the loving and living God who created and designed you for a great purpose. Amen. Will you close your eyes with me? If you're here today and you're like, that's me. I want to give my life over to the Lord today. I want to give my life to Jesus. And I I, want to know the God that made me and created me. And right where you're sitting, we're not going to go anywhere. We're not going to do anything. All we're going to do is you're going to slip your hand up here in a second. And then we're going to pray for you right where you're at. And you can tell somebody about it after you're done. So those of you around here, you're ready. I want to give my life to Jesus. I want to surrender to him. I want to pray and accept him as my Savior. You slip your hand up in the air right now. Yep, thank you. Anybody else? Jesus, I want to receive you. I'm ready to give my life to you. Yeah, I see your hand there. Thank you so much. Yep awesome. Very good. You can put your hands down. Let's pray. Pray this with me. The Bible says, I believe in my heart, Jesus is Lord. I confess with my mouth that he is savior. He is God and I'll be saved. No matter what you've done or where you come from, no sin is too great for our God. No mistake is too great for our God. No life is too messed up to be rescued. So let's pray this. Let's do it all together. Let's even rededicate all of our lives to him today. Lord Jesus, Come on, let's pray. Jesus, I turn my life over to you now. You are my God. You are my Savior. You are Lord of my life. Fill me with your love and your Holy Spirit. I want to live for you every day. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this message, please connect with us at UniteChurchAK.org. We hope to see you soon.